Please join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Indeed, we're going to talk about redemption together today. As you're finding your place there, let me thank you for your prayers for my family over these last two weeks since my mother fell ill and then ICU, her passing to heaven, all that. You've been wonderful, lots of expressions of, of love and prayers to us. We really do. Thank you for that. God has been answering and giving us encouragement and strength. And um, so we're so grateful to, for you. I, I can say this, it's been nonstop uh, since my mom went to the hospital for these two weeks to planning a funeral immediately and then to cleaning out her apartment uh, by the end of the month. And so all that now is, is done and um, God's been sustaining us there. It's interesting, I go back to mom's apartment. Some of the neighbors didn't know what happened. And they say, how's your mom? And I see she's doing great. She's great. And it's a chance to testify to Jesus. You know, she knew Jesus. She's with him now. She is doing great. But we will certainly miss her. One of the tasks, though, has been cleaning out her apartment. And my sister and brother-in-law came and they helped take a lot of things away that would be useful, something that family members might want. And so they took them down to North Carolina. We'll give some things to other, other ones of our siblings and grandkids and all that of my mom. And so that's been great, knowing that the, these things will find a home and will remember my mom that way. Some things, though, uh, still had some life in them, but maybe we didn't care for them. And so uh, those things were picked up by Redemption Thrift. And so uh, that'll be great. Somebody else will get use out of these. But then there was another category. And there are those things that we might say were just too well used that we don't think anybody would want. Too much effort would have to go into making that useful again. And we're gonna talk about redemption here, so let me use the opposite. We would say some of these items were irredeemable. I looked up that word and some synonyms. Some synonyms are irredeemable, irrecoverable, irreparable, irretrievable, irreversible, unrecoverable, unredeemable. And so, you know, that's be a fine way to describe an old couch. Like that's just beyond, beyond repair there. But you would never use those words to describe a human being. You would never look at a person and say, that one is just too far gone. God himself couldn't bring that one. No, God is all about redeeming people. Of course, there was a perfect creation. We've been talking about that this summer. Then there was this terrible fall when the first man and woman sinned against God, bringing death and separation to the world. And we live in a cursed earth because of that fall. But even at the fall, right after that, God then implemented this plan he had from eternity past to bring about the redemption of men and women to himself. Last time we were in Isaiah and we saw that God indeed had a heart to redeem us. We had a need, God had a heart to redeem us, and God had a plan to redeem us even before the world was made. The prophet Isaiah told us about that in Isaiah 53. But do you remember Isaiah 118? Isaiah 118, hear the heart of our Redeemer God. God said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And now we turn to 2 Corinthians 5, another great passage where we're going to hear about our redeeming God, particularly that word reconciliation that he's all about. 2 Corinthians 5, now in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God. You know, if you're using a pen there and you have your Bible, you might want to underline that. That's a key phrase. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful passage. And we're going to look at that together now. First of all, I want you to see this. In Christ, we are redeemed and transformed. In Christ, we are redeemed and transformed. Notice the text again. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Notice the condition here. If anyone is in Christ. So if you are among those who have recognized their sin, turn from that sin and trusted in Jesus, then this we're going to talk about describes you. If you've come to Christ, you're in him, you are new. And the word here in the original language means qualitatively new. You're new in a different way. So you're not new of the same kind. So when my shoes wear out, one of my moves is this. In fact, these, these shoes I'm wearing, these are exactly like the shoes that wore out before these. I'm not very creative fashion-wise. have to ask my daughters what to do. This was my own decision. I thought, I really like those shoes. And now they wore out, water's leaking in So uh, on a rainy day. So I, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll go to the store where I got them. They don't sell them anymore. And so I had to go online to get the exact same pair of shoes. So that's what you, that's what you do when you get the same thing just replaced. That's not what our salvation's like. That's not our redemption. We're new in a different way. This would be like... If your mode of transportation had been flip-flops and they broke and then you decide, all right, I need to replace these with something better than this. And so maybe, maybe you cool people, maybe you get some Air Jordans, you got some money to spend, you'll, you'll get those. Or, or maybe it's better than that. This is your mode of trans transportation, walking with flip-flops. Now we're going to go to a new car. This, this is, I see the continuity. It's how I get around. But this is of a whole different dimension. This is so much better. New of a different kind. That's what he's bringing up here. This is like when I went from a typewriter in college to a computer. Man, what a change that was. I remember those days of trying to footnote with a typewriter and then going to a word processing computer. Man, that was amazing. Or maybe some of you may remember when you went from a rotary phone to something. Of course, you didn't leap all the way to smartphone, but, but that's the type of change. Yeah, it's still a phone. I get it. But this is so different than that. So now in Christ, you are a new kind of creation. You're not just the same thing made, made just uh, uh, updated in some way. You're born again, the scripture says. You've gone from death to life if you're in Christ. You went from being an enemy of God before Christ to being a beloved child of God now in Christ. You went from one before Christ who was in proud rebellion against him to now in glad submission to Christ now that you're in him. You went from fundamentally being a sinner, now in Christ you are considered a saint. Now indwelled by the Holy Spirit, God's actively in working you now to sanctify you, to make you more like Jesus as the years go by. But ultimately, he's destined you for glorification. 
Indeed, Jesus called it being born again. John 3, 3, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 6, 4, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Galatians 6, 15, for neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And that's how Paul talks here in 2 Corinthians 5, new creations. New has come now that you're in Christ. But did you also notice that the old has passed away? The original language here, that old has ceased to exist in your life. So let me ask you, has this been your experience in Christ? Is your life dramatically different since you have become a Christian? Some of you maybe were saved, came to know Christ, maybe as a child. And you think about how at eight years of age, maybe nine years old, you became a Christian. You think, man, I, I can't really pick up this dramatic difference of the pre-converted eight-year-old me. And then right after that, as an eight-year-old, now a Christian, you know, you had to be driven around. You couldn't have gotten into but so much trouble. And so you don't see a big difference. But, but here's the question you ask. You, you fast forward to the present tense. And you just think, how has my life been different from unbelievers that I know that I've been in Christ? Somebody might be here and they think, you know, my life is really not at all different from my unbelieving family members, my unbelieving friends. We're chasing the same things, got the same values, same attitudes, same language, same priorities. Then that would be very concerning because the scripture says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. There should be a marked difference in your life if you have met Jesus Christ. So is your life different from the unbelievers in your life? As you think through the trajectory of your life, it, now that you came to Christ, even if it was years ago, am I in a very different place now in the way I am than I would have been had I not come to Christ? This is how you're looking. Is there evidence of newness in me? You, many of you know my story. In high school, I came to know Jesus as my Savior, all a gift of God. It was certainly not of my doing. As the Scripture said, it, it was all of Him, but He changed me. I can't even take credit for the change that happened. It wasn't like I thought, I need to change a few things. These things were eternally, in, internally motivated by him. My life used to be all about me. And then in short order, coming to Christ, my life revolved all around him. And it showed up in practical ways. My music changed. I mean, part of that was my brother introduced me to Christ through his contemporary Christian music. And so that was making me think on Jesus, started reading the Bible as you've heard my story. But then I thought, I don't really want to go back to the old music because it celebrates the old life I just left behind. And so I just made my diet this music. My music changed. And that's what I drove around listening to. My language changed. My morals changed. There were posters on my wall that had to come down once Jesus took over my life. There were things that I quite literally had to put in a trash bag and take out of my house after I became a Christian. Now, the temptations remain. Strong temptations remain. But it became clear now in Christ, I need to fight those temptations. Before Christ, I would have the temptations. And what do you do with it? You just give in to those. As long as you don't get caught, that was the goal. Then Jesus comes in and changes the desire. Now, still could fall into sin, still, still did fall into sin. But now I discover something's happened to me. I can't be happy in sin anymore. Still gravitating toward it. Toward it. But now I'm disappointed in myself when I sin. Something, now there's a new fight in me to try to get away from the old life that was still trying to cling to me. Something happened and I did not do that to myself as a teenage boy. Did you see a change in you? 
That's the question. Not that it would look exactly like my experience, but just again, the scripture says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things passed away. New things have come. So how about those priorities of yours? Are they different than you had when you were an unbeliever? Your goal in life, is it different now? Is it different from the people around you who still don't know Christ? Is your language different than it was before Christ? Is your language different than the unbelievers all around you? You love them, but you don't want to speak like them. How about your service to God? Is it different now that you know God personally through his, through his son? Your integrity, do you have it? Rather than just being concerned about your image, what about when you're all alone? Is it still your desire now? Oh, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be faithful to you. And when you fail, do you have that desire? Lord, I, I need to get this right. Would you forgive me? Are you in that new struggle now in the power of the spirit to walk the walk of a disciple? Here's the point. We can't just tack on Jesus to the life we already were living. That's not, that's not what the Bible talks about. We're like, I'm going this way. I got things I want to do. Oh, it'd be nice to have Jesus along. So Jesus, come with me as I live my self-directed life. That's not Christianity. So we have people all over the world sharing this message of redemption. Some of them have themselves in places like South Asia, where they're loving and serving people from a Hindu background. And so one of the steps that some Hindus make on their way to trusting in Jesus only is that they'll add Jesus to the other gods they worship. So uh, Hindus have many, many different deities. And so some of them will hear about Christ and think, wow, he does sound wonderful. And so let's, let's add Jesus to the list. I'll begin to worship him too. Now that's not conversion. That's not salvation yet, but could be an encouraging step. Had some friends that years ago lived in Calcutta and they would want to, again, share this wonderful news of redemption through Jesus. And they would try to get the same taxi driver every time so they could continue this conversation about Jesus. And so they talked about the day that they got back into the taxi with their dear friend and they began to talk about Jesus. And this man said, hey, I have really enjoyed talking about Jesus so much so that I have ordered an idol of Jesus to put on my dashboard next to my other idols. Well, these friends of mine said, oh, no, you don't want to do that because God does not like idolatry. And this guy was so teachable. He's like, oh, that's good to know. I'll cancel the order. So he canceled the order. So, so they asked for prayer and they said, look, we're going to meet with him. He's invited us to his house and we want to explain the good news more fully to him. They said it was just so immediate. They're, they're in his home talking more about Jesus. He quickly put his faith only in Jesus. Gave evidence by getting rid of all of his idols that he had previously worshipped. And here's what he said when he put away his other idols. He said, they never did anything for me anyway. But that's what it's talking about. I used to follow other things. I used to trust in other things. But now that Jesus has come, I'm only devoted to him. My life is now very different than the life I had before. Has that, has that happened to you? Jesus is going to lead you out of old habits. Jesus is going to lead you out of old addictions. He's going to give you new thoughts to replace the old way of thinking. You're going to have a new love for him and a new love for other people when Jesus comes in. We're just talking about redemption and it brings about transformation. Even how we relate to other people, Paul brings up, look at verse 16. Paul said, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So there was a way I used to think about Jesus, but now I have a change of mind about Jesus. I trust him entirely. And I used to regard other people according to fleshly ways, but not anymore. Jesus has changed how I even look and relate at other people. So when you come to Christ, one of the things that's going to go is your old prejudices. They are gone. 
You're going to see Jesus differently. You're going to see everyone else differently. And the big distinction that matters to you now as a believer with this new mind is, are they believers or are they still unbelievers? So it's not a matter of what race are they. We're not so concerned about that. Or what, what status they have. Are they rich? Are they poor? We don't care about that. That's thinking worldly. Are they a celebrity or are they ordinary? We don't, we don't care about that. Is there, are they in Christ? Have they experienced redemption yet? Are they still on the outside? What can we do to help them come to know Jesus along with us? Again, the old things passed away. New things have come. The old life of sin and self and slavery, that is gone. So when you come to Christ, some things you'll find immediately go away. Like I am done with that. That's not even tempting anymore. But then there are other things in your life. You'll come to Christ and you'll think, whoa, but that, that's still a powerful temptation in my life. That is, we'll go back to that word addiction. That, that still has a hold on me. Well, now what's new? You think, well, why is that still in my life if I'm new? Well, but now I'm bothered by that. And you might then call on other brothers and sisters in Christ. Could you help me as I walk out of some things that really have, a, have me in bondage? But listen, that's new, that new desire. And the resources God's going to give you by his spirit with his people to step out of some things that have held you and have been hurting you. You have a new desire to follow Jesus now, a new disappointment with that ongoing tendency towards sin, a new battle that you're going to fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes you new. When I was a boy, one of my favorite TV shows was The Six Million Dollar Man. Anybody remember that? You got to be about my age to, to know that one. <clears throat> Some of our younger people, you had to YouTube it. And somebody warned me at eight o'clock service. I mentioned this. They said the acting was terrible. They tried to go back and watch it. And what we thought was so fascinating and wonderful, evidently pretty cheesy. Um, in fact, I'm going to have to go home this afternoon and take a look myself. But I just thought about that. The, uh, the main character was Steve Austin. He was an Air Force pilot who was critically wounded in a NASA test flight. Fiction, all fiction. So he's dead. And the show begins telling you that, you know, we can rebuild him. This, this man's left for dead. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. We can make him faster and stronger. And they did. They made him bionic. The, the term we'd use now is like a cyborg, but they just, he's the bionic man. So they replaced his legs with bionic legs. One of his arms, a bionic arm. They replaced one of his eyes with a bionic eye. And so I had to look it up. I don't remember all this. I had to look it up. That with his new, new legs, he could run 60 miles per hour. With his bionic eye, he could see at great distances with that eye. They had sound effects to go with that when he was looking out in the distance. He had a bionic arm. I had to look it up. He could lift a thousand pounds with that new bionic arm. He was a new man, but it's fiction. And what Jesus did truly for us is better than even that. Because in Christ, you get a new you. You get a new heart, a new perspective on life, a new life indeed, new purpose, new loves, New set of desires, you're a new creation. The old's passed away, the new has come. New leader, new loyalty. Listen to this, a new eternal destiny when you trust in Jesus. And what's wonderful about this truth in 2 Corinthians 5 is that the Holy Spirit's inspiring Paul to write about it, but this is Paul's testimony. Think about the one who's inspired to write this. He used to hate the church. He used to persecute Christians. And here he's writing about being a new creation. This is his testimony. How would you explain the change from, from arresting Christians, being there when Christians are stoned to death. Now he's proclaiming the gospel and planting churches. What happened to Paul? It's the grace of God. God took him and changed him. He redeemed him and transformed him. He'll do the same for you. 
He'll do the same for me. So in Christ, we're redeemed and transformed. How about this? In Christ, we are redeemed and reconciled. In Christ, we're redeemed and reconciled. Look at verse 18 again. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So here we're reminded again why we need redemption. Paul calls out here our sin, our rebellion. He calls it here trespasses. Adam and Eve got all that started, remember, at the fall. They disobeyed the one command of God. They broke their relationship with God. And we've been born in that condition. And we've continued the sinning against God, being very willful and rebellious. And so we needed God to do something. And that's what we're told here. Verse 18, so wonderful. Now all these things are from God. All this talk about reconciliation, this starts with God. This did not start with us. God acted to reconcile sinful humanity to himself. Isn't that gloriously backwards? If it were as it should be, sinful humanity would have seen we need to make things right with God. We've offended him. Scripture tells us sinful humanity is not able to do that. We're not capable of seeing our need for God on our own. We're not capable of making things right with God. And this is how beautiful the grace and mercy of God is. God knowing our inability so totally corrupted by sin that God had to act to rescue us. He did not write us off as he could have, but he came for us, gave his son for us that we could be reconciled to the God we have offended. I love reading stories of people who have forgiven people who have harmed them. In fact, this week I read several stories of people who were impacted by drunk drivers, loved ones killed by drunk drivers. And to read about these people who told the person who killed their relative, listen, we forgive you. We forgive you. Now the legal process is still going to roll. It's going to go through. But, but as for us as a family, we forgive you. How beautiful to read that. How difficult to do that. But as beautiful as that is, that's not exactly what Jesus did for us. Because even in those situations where a family might forgive someone who, who did a crime against them, they're, they're forgiving. We're not going to hold it against you. We're not going to be bitter. We're just going to leave you to God. They're still not having that person over for Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're not doing birthdays together. They're not taking vacations together. They're not family. Look, we're just going to forgive you as you stay over there. But what is reconciliation? We were estranged from God. We were enemies of God and he comes to us, offers salvation through his son, Jesus, who died and was raised. So that if we believe in him, we go from enemy to family. Now we're with him. He says, I'm, I've prepared a place for you. You're going to be with me forever. That's the ultimate in reconciliation. That's the ultimate in mercy and grace. God acted first. Jesus on the cross, what did he say? He said many wonderful things. One of the things he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. God is offering to reconcile you. God is offering to cleanse you of all of your sin. He's offering to bring you into relationship with him, to take you from an enemy to his child. What will you do this morning with that offer God is making to you to reconcile you to himself? So in Christ, we've been redeemed and transformed. In Christ, we've been redeemed and reconciled. How about this? In Christ, we are redeemed and sent out. In Christ, we've been redeemed and sent out with this gospel. So to experience reconciliation with God through Jesus means now you have a mandate to share this good news 
with everyone else. Those who have been reconciled join the ministry of reconciliation that God is doing in the world. The converted are now commissioned. The lost who have been found now join the rescue mission to find others. This is what we see in our text again. Verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, listen, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So you respond to God's offer of cleansing and reconciliation through Jesus. You become new in him. You get a new master, but you also get a new mission. You pick up a ministry. You pick up a new life purpose for yourself. Your commission. You have a new passion, a new responsibility, a new assignment from God for the rest of your days. You who are once hostile toward God, now saved and reconciled. Now he says, you're my ambassador in the world. All that I did for you in reconciling you, you're going to let the world know that I would do that for them as well. We know about ambassadors. Every prominent nation has ambassadors that represent the nation, that represent the leader of the nation. Well, we represent King Jesus. And King Jesus has an agenda for his earth. And it's reconciliation. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And now that you belong to him, if you've been redeemed, you're all about sharing this gospel with other people. We've been commissioned for this. Listen, it's a, it's a joyful ministry, but it's also an urgent, urgent ministry. Did you notice Paul's words? He says, we implore you to be reconciled to God. We, we beg you who are estranged from God. We beg you to be reconciled to him. Verse 11, he spoke similarly, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, we persuade others. So let me ask you, are you concerned for others? Have you taken up that mandate from Christ? Oh, I'm so glad I'm saved. And now also, oh, I wish the people around me knew him as well. Is that a burning desire in your life? How about, let me ask it this way. Are you faithful in your duties as an ambassador for Christ? Are you carrying out this ministry of reconciliation that he says is a part of the new life that is yours in him? Today would be a wonderful time to renew your commitment to evangelism and to missions. And that would show up in your life. Lord, I need to see again. That is why I'm here. It's a big part of, of why I still remain and I'm not in heaven right now. I'm to be your ambassador. And so today, if you would pick up, I'm going to start praying again for those that are lost in my life. You can't say you care much for people who are lost if you're not making it a matter of urgent prayer in your life. So you have unbelieving relatives. You love them. You're not condemning them. You're not better than they are, but you're going to be praying for them. Dominant part of your prayer life. Lord, please reveal yourself to my, and you just name your relative there. Your, your neighbors, you may not even know them. They pull in their garage, you pull in your garage, but, but what about them? What's going to happen to them when they die? What's going to happen during their life when they don't have a savior and a shepherd here? And start to have compassion, but prayer is a big part of stirring that up. And then I want to encourage you as you take on this mandate that you are an ambassador for Christ, one of the practical moves you can do is to put on one of these wristbands every day. And so we have those in the bins in the foyer. It's a great practical move there is uh, you take it off at night, 
put it on in the morning. Just as a reminder, I am on a mission. I've been reconciled to God as sinful as I was. He made me new. And now I'm supposed to be in his ambassador. Just a great way to remember that. And maybe, maybe you work at a place where you can't wear something so visible. I'd still put it in my pocket if I were you. Put it on the gear shift of your car. Put it in your purse, something where I see it. I'm reminded to pray for people. I know what to share because these symbols are good gospel prompts. And these are, by the way, explained on our website the kind of things you would want to talk about in that conversation of good news. Tommy recently put these together, some door hangers, and uh, you might want to use these. Prayer walk in your neighborhood, and you say, I don't feel like knocking on somebody's door. That would be frowned upon in my neighborhood. That's fine. You might put one on a door uh, there on the doorknob. And just as a way of just trying to get the good news out, inviting people to be a part of what God is doing here. Can I encourage you also, as we're just talking about renewing our commitment to sharing the good news and to missions, would you pray for the missionaries sent out from our church? It's difficult to live far from family and friends and familiar culture. Don't forget them and pray for them. And if, you're, if you have contact information for them, if they've given that to you, then from time to time, tell them, I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up. Whatever you can say securely, depending on where they serve. Financially, keep supporting missions through your giving. And then, of course, go in response to God's call. When you hear about nations, when you hear about people groups, when you hear about villages and megacities where there aren't enough people sharing the gospel, uh, you could say to the Lord, Lord, I, I make myself available. If you would want me to go, if you would want my family to go, we would go anywhere in the world to share this good news. We're your ambassadors. That's why we exist on the earth still. And so, God, we would go. And let me say to you, I said to the students in the last service, which we have most of our students, but if you're here and you're a student, you're about to go into school. And I want you to accept this responsibility. You are an ambassador for Christ in the school. There are things that a Christian teacher can't say in the school but you can say in the school, and your friends are in desperate need of Jesus. I bet it'll take you five seconds at the lunch table to realize everybody around me is lost. They have no idea of how much Jesus loves them. They have no idea how to be reconciled to God. But you know, put that wristband on, be ready to share it with somebody, and just make it your mission this entire school year. Make that your mission field. To, I'm going to be sharing the good news lovingly, tactfully, patiently at times. But, but the mission is clear. I want to implore people, beg people to be reconciled to God as I love them and live among them. And then this, verse 21, in Christ we've been redeemed and we've been made righteous in God's sight. Look at verse 21, one of the most amazing texts in all the Bible. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the beauty of of the gospel. This explains again how God can reconcile sinful humanity to himself. God can't overlook sin. God has to punish sin to deal with it. How was his plan to deal with it? That Jesus would come, who had known no sin. Jesus, who is absolutely perfect. We sang it at the eight o'clock service. He's holy, holy, holy. And this holy one comes and he lives a perfect life, goes to a cross. Why? to become sin for us. As the sins of the entire world were attributed to him, laid on him, Jesus died for those sins. He was raised from the dead and he can cleanse anybody who would trust in him. Jesus never sinned, but took our sin, paid the punishment so that we could be forgiven. Stunning that Jesus would become sin for us. Notice what he said, so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's an amazing exchange.
When you put your faith in Jesus, you're bringing all your sin and guilt to him. He will wash you clean. And then the righteousness of Christ, the very righteousness of God, then is credited to you. All because of your faith in him. You haven't performed righteously like me and everyone else. You've sinned millions of times. But by faith in Jesus, the righteous one who died for you, you then are declared righteous in the sight of God. So when he looks at you, he sees you in Christ. He sees you clean and you're accepted by God. And so today, here's the question. Are you ready to be redeemed? Would you turn from whatever else you've been trusting, whatever other path you have been on, would you turn from that and trust only in Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who was raised from the dead? Would you accept the new life he's offering to you? Would you accept the new mission that he's given to you? Would you acknowledge, Lord, it's all from you. If you hadn't done this, I could not save myself, but I'm trusting in you. And then this, would you ask him? There's your practical move. When you recognize your sin, that you can't reconcile yourself to God, but he made everything possible. You ask him, Jesus, I see that you're the only one. Would you save me? I'm asking you to redeem me. Give me this new life that I'm reading about in your word. Listen, he'll do it. If you ask him humbly, sincerely, he will save you.